Today's reading is taken from Romans 8, verses 18 to 28. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. On the third anniversary of the fire, we don't need to be persuaded about the relevance of this part of the Bible's teaching. It speaks about frustration and groaning. Verse 21, creation itself groaning for liberation from its bondage to decay. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. As justice is delayed for another year, as change is yet to come, we know plenty about frustration and groaning. Not least in the times we're living through at the moment. Not least with the spotlight on the, uh, on the injustice and the racism that many in our community have experienced over and over and over and still do now, despite years of struggle. Frustration and groaning for liberation. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's about the real world. It's about our real experience. But the Bible isn't just empathising here. It speaks about hope, about a glorious future that God has prepared for his children in the language here. But before we look too quickly at that, notice again the realism. This is not making false promises. This is not saying, you know, become a Christian and all your troubles are in the past. All the groaning is there. Have enough faith and you'll have health, wealth and the American dream. It's far from saying that. It's really just, it's saying the opposite pretty much. Verse 26. Even God is groaning. Isn't that astonishing? It speaks in verse 26 about the Holy Spirit coming into the life of the believer. And that's pretty astonishing in and of itself. 
It says that the Holy Spirit, when he's in our lives, he's an interceder. He's a go-between, between us and God the Father. But even he can't find words sometimes. And so he utters wordless groans. Groaning about the suffering in our lives and the suffering in our world. Isn't that astonishing? And isn't that the God you want in your life? God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in us, groaning with us and groaning for us. We're all too painfully aware that this world is not as it should be, that, that things aren't right. Uh, we all know that. You know that. I know that. The Bible knows that. God knows that. And so the good news here is that this speaks about a hope, a certain future and a perspective on life, because we know that, that transforms the present now. It speaks about a, a day when God will make everything right. But it also says in verse 25 that we have to wait for that day. Why the wait? Well, because all seven billion people of the world are wrapped up in the problems of the world and in the suffering that comes from that, the pain and the grief and the groaning. None of us are perfect, we know that. Uh, I've been really conscious during lockdown of some of my flaws and failures and sins just coming to the surface. Uh, the grumbling, the negativity, the shortness of temper, the sharp words, the snapping at people, the selfishness. I've been guilty of them all, and those are just some of the ones that are easier to talk about in public. It's ugly, it's wrong, it falls so far short of the image of God. We're all made in his image to be like him. That isn't how I should be, or you should be, or any of us should be, and yet all seven billion of us, we all fall short, and we all contribute to the groaning, the suffering, the tears, the pain, the anguish of the world. God would be totally within its rights to get rid of a lot of us. He would be, but, but that's not who God is. It's not what he's like. The Bible assures us that God loves the world. He loves you, me, every single one of us. And God, when he sees the human race goes wrong and suffer as a result, he does something utterly extraordinary. We thought last week on Trinity Sunday about the fact that God is love. God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, eternally loving one another in the closest possible relationship. But 2,000 years ago, God did something utterly extraordinary. The second person of the Trinity shrunk himself down and became one of us. He was born in humble circumstances. Before Jesus was two years old, he was a refugee. When his family could return... They moved to a nondescript town up north. And so Jesus knew and faced prejudice and misunderstanding and victimisation and betrayal and more. In spite of that, his message wasn't violent revolution, but something much more radical. A slow and steady and much more powerful revolution, a new kind of kingdom of peace with God... And the transformation that brings to our relationship with one another, 
and our relationship to the world as we live our lives. Jesus came and he healed and he restored, but the reason he came was to die, to pay for all the wrongdoing, to take the suffering on himself. And when they nailed him to that cross, he uttered wordless groans. And then he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned and forsaken by God so that you and I need never be. Romans chapter 5 puts it this way. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In a broken world, everyone suffers. Creation itself suffers and groans. But through Jesus, God makes a way back to himself to become his children for every single man or woman or boy or girl who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, if you don't yet know God as your heavenly father, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, his son, just pray to him. Say sorry for the wrong in your life, turn from it, turn to him and trust him as he dies for you and ask him to come into your life, to forgive you, to make you new and to give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. He loves to answer that prayer. And that's how the revolution spreads as person by person. We come back to God through Jesus and he changes the way we look at everything in life. We know now, verse 18, that we're heading towards the glory one day of being with God face to face. And when we suffer, even with horrific suffering like Jesus went through, we know it's not actually worth comparing to the glory of being with God one day. And this isn't just some sort of private and personal thing, verse 21. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It changes the way we look at life, although of course it doesn't mean that we just sort of go through life in a sort of glaze and a haze and always feel positive and at peace with everything. You know, on a wet Wednesday in lockdown and we didn't sleep properly and we're not feeling well and the children are climbing the walls and the fridge is empty, that's going to feel like it always feels. But we will have a different perspective on that pain and suffering and groaning, as well as on life in general. Christians live with two fixed points in view. One in the past. We look back to the cross and to the God who loves us and came to rescue us. That's one fixed point in a changing world. The other is in the future, when God will make everything right. How can we know on a wet Wednesday that that day will one day come? Because when they killed Jesus, when death and hell did its worst, God raised him from the dead. And so we can be 100% sure that that day will come. God will keep his promise 
and everything will one day be right and be restored. It transforms the present. We're not groaning without hope anymore. It's not simply pain and suffering and frustration. It's rather groaning with confidence because we know the future God has promised and actually in the present too. Verse 28 talks about the way that God is at work in the lives and in everything uh, for those that are uh, uh, those who love him. He's working in everything for our good. That's what verse 28 talks about, this present work of God in, in his people in the world. And so even evil things like fire, like racism, like viruses, like all the other things that we face and bring suffering and grief into our lives, even evil things cannot thwart the purposes of God. It's, a, it's wonderful and it gives courage and determination uh, to us to resist evil in the world as well as to repent of it in our lives. Day by day we're working towards the reality that is yet to come. We're working towards that, knowing that God is working in us and working in the world towards that. And that we get to join in with what God is doing in our lives and in the world around us. You see, that brings hope in the face of injustice. It brings a dignity in the face of oppression. The kind that marked the civil rights movement 60 plus years ago are crying out for justice and for change which is underpinned by something steady, by a resolve that won't change and a confidence because we know that God is at work and so we're at work in line with what he's, he's doing in the world and knowing too that he is with us in the midst of it all, in the groaning, in the frustration, in the suffering and his groans are even deeper with than ours as the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And also as the Holy Spirit assures us that there will come a point where God restores all things. And it will be incomparable, the glory of that day, when you compare the suffering of today. God will keep his promise. He will bring his children home. And so whatever we're going through, we keep our faith and our hope in him.